Do you remember life before reality TV, before people's personal lives and problems and drama were made available for public consumption? It's actually kind of crazy to think of what we watched before we had shows like The Real World, which is basically the OG TV reality series. And then came a barrage of talent shows and home improvement shows, and of course, the real lives of basically everyone. And if you want to broadcast your life, there are a team of people and a television crew that is willing to make that happen for you. And now we live in a whole new age where if we don't broadcast our lives, then it's almost as if it didn't happen. Am I right? I still have a few relatives that don't have social media and the rest of us don't get it. And I also have a great aunt who's in her 90s and I'm pretty sure she's on Facebook more than I am. The way we interact with one another has completely changed. And whether or not that is for better or for worse, well, who knows? Okay, so back to reality TV. I wanna know what your favorite shows are because I have a few guilty pleasures myself. I almost hate to admit it, but I have actually been watching The Bachelor and Bachelorette since season one. Now I can hear the groans from here. And I also like TV shows like The Voice and Amazing Race, which is probably the one I would choose to be on if I had the choice. But there are also TV shows that I've never really gotten into, like Big Brother. Like, I don't get why people watch that show. I don't get why people are on that show. Why people wanna spend like so many days locked up in a house with other people. I don't get it. Anyways, and like The Kardashians. Also, yeah, I don't know. So you may be wondering why the heck I'm talking about reality TV and I haven't even mentioned like the superstar of the reality TV world, which of course would be Survivor. I have to say that I have watched many seasons of the show and I was mostly in shock and awe that people would just commit to being on an island, a deserted island at that. No food, no shelter, and just kind of stowed away with a bunch of people they don't know. I'm pretty sure Jeff Probst has hit a gold mine with that show. Now, if you've ever been completely captivated by reality TV or you have wondered what it's like to be on a show, then you're going to love this episode with season three contestant of Survivor, Sunday Berkquist. You better believe that we are talking about the show, the psychology of it, and what she's learned along the way, and of course, what she's doing now. But even more, we talk about the human spirit and the resiliency that we all have to get through really difficult seasons in life. And Sunday has had her fair share of difficulties battling breast cancer, anxiety, and depression. She's also a mom of four, and she has devoted her life to empowering young women to move past their difficulties with grit and grace. You're listening to The Courage Cast, a show to equip and empower women to live bravely. Each week we'll share coaching conversations and stories of women who are willing to face their fear and pursue their purpose. Here's your host, life coach, author, and your secret weapon. Hi, beautiful. Here's your daily reminder that you are loved, you are important, and you are perfect just the way you are. The way those words just made you feel, that's what it feels like to slip into an Honor Brooks robe. Honor Brooks is a female-founded luxury robe and loungewear brand. Every unique, high-quality Canadian-made piece is designed to be a reminder that we are all made up of beautiful, unique details. For 15% off your very own Onderbrooks piece, head to onderbrooks.ca and enter promo code COURAGECAST at checkout. That's O-N-D-E-R-B-R-O-E-K-S dot C-A. Promo code COURAGECAST. Hello, friends. I'm so glad that you've joined me today. We've got a pretty special guest, and I'm really eager to introduce her to you. But before we get there, can I ask you a huge favor? If you love the show, would you go ahead, go to your iTunes, hit subscribe so that you can get all of the newest episodes downloaded directly to your device? What you may not know is that every download makes a difference when the ratings in iTunes are counted. And while you're at it, since you're over there already, would you mind leaving us a rating and review? And then you can let me know. And I would be so thrilled to actually thank you in person. So you can direct message me over on Instagram at at the dot or you can send me a message 
on Facebook at the Courage Cast Podcast. Thank you so much in advance. Okay, let's get on with the show and hear from Sunday Berquist. Sunday, I am really excited to chat with you today, um, hear your story about um, what you have gone through and just kind of your journey in life. And I'm really excited just to talk about how we can empower women and young young women at that, which I think is so important. So thank you for being on the Courage Cast today. Oh, thanks for having me. Anytime I can talk about women and strengthening them and empowering them, and I'm all in. Now I love your accent. Um, I, live I don't in, have an accent. <laughs> you could probably say the same thing about me. Um, I lived in the U.S. for 14 years, so I can recognize an American mm-hmm. accent. But you're a Northern girl. Yes, I am, and people remind me of it quite often, actually. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about yourself and what you're passionate about. Okay. Um, First, I would say, let's see, I'm a wife of 28 years. I have four kids. They're 25, 23, 21, and 19. And two of them are still in college. The other two are graduated. I'm a breast cancer survivor. I was a contestant on the reality TV show Survivor, season 33, Millennials versus Gen X. So cool. Was so cool. Um, and I am passionate about empowering women to discover their strength. I know that, or I believe every woman has strength. I just think sometimes they don't recognize it. And I want them to know how strong that they are so that they can have confidence They can teach their daughters confidence. And then from there, they can use that confidence to influence others and to serve others. Mm. That's really, I just want to see women support each other. And I think that it's really hard for them to do that when they aren't secure in the first place. Now, was this something you were always passionate about, you know, pre-cancer and um, or did this something that you journeyed through and became really passionate about? I think on some level I've always been passionate about it because I used to you know mentor women on a weekly basis and teach women and I just felt like at least for me as a mom with small kids I felt so undervalued and so exhausted and I just I always thought, man, I I wish there was a way that I could help build up, you know, not just moms, but that's where I saw it the most was the moms with kids that felt like they weren't doing anything important. And that's so not true. And um, so I kind of was there, but then the series of events of difficult things that I've gone through, I feel like are relatable because everybody goes through hard times. And then I just kind of started to see this pattern like, okay, how am I getting through all these difficult things? Well, it's strength, it's grit, and I'm no different than anybody else. So I think as women are walking through life and experiencing difficult things, I think that it just sometimes takes someone pointing out to them, you know what, you are strong and you can do this. Hmm. Now, did you have people in your life that were those people who pointed that out to you? My mom probably, and it, it might be on the the um, the other end in the sense that she had a lot has a lot of grit and strength, and I think I picked up that from her example. Um, and then as I went through these things, I felt like kept piling on. Um, I had friends and people would say, "Like, how are you, like?" getting out of bed every day or how are you functioning when you're, you know, dealing with yet another difficult thing in your life. And that's when you kind of sit back and you go, yeah, how am I doing that? You know? And I think there's motivators. My kids are a big motivator, but I think um, with the different things that were going on, I had no choice but to dig deep and find that strength and just keep going. Now, you know, it's interesting that you, you mentioned how, Oftentimes, like when we are in crisis or when things happen, it is a huge motivator to mm-hmm. actually look a little deeper than maybe what we would normally do. We're just glossing over our lives so often. Mm-hmm. What What do you think for you was kind of like that point, even in your your cancer journey, where it was like, okay, I have to 
I have to like bear down and I have to find this inner strength. Like, how did you do that? Where did that come from? I would say if I were going to pinpoint a, a time period, um, about a year before I got diagnosed with breast cancer, my husband almost died oh, twice wow. actually. And he had emergency open heart surgery and two weeks later almost could have bled to death internally. And that was really hard. It was a long recovery. And it was during that time that I was like, I have to be strong for my kids and for my husband, which is kind of a little bit of a role reversal, right? And so I was like, okay, that's it. I can't, I have to get up. I have to make sure, you know, the things that he took care of, I was doing, getting the garbage out and getting snow plows and, you know, all those things. And it, it it's kind of like, I feel like sometimes to find your strength, it's because you're forced to and you have no other option. And it's when it's in those times that you go, you know what? I don't have an option. I've got a family. I've got kids. I have to get out of bed and function. And then you make yourself do it and you go, wait a minute. I can actually do this. And it isn't as hard as I thought it was going to be. I was reading a little bit about you and it talked about you kind of experiencing depression in, in kind of that season when you were you had been diagnosed with breast cancer and you're going through chemotherapy and then kind of this dark period happened. Mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit about what was that like for you? How did you kind of manage that time in your life? I watched a lot of TV and ate a lot of pita chips. <laughs> God, just, um you know, the thing of it is, is I'm, I'm a real strong type A personality. So depression, anxiety, really up until cancer was never something I personally dealt with. And although I would never say it to a person ever in a hundred years, in my mind, sometimes I would think, okay, come on, get over it. You know, like, why are you still dealing with this? And when it hit me, which was actually my very first chemo appointment. Um, they started the drugs and I just started sobbing uncontrollably. And I, I was so confused. My nurse came to me. She's like, this is normal. And I'm like, normal? What in the world? And then my doctor came in. He said, you're just having an anxiety attack. And I, I looked right at him and I said, I don't have those. He's like, mm, yeah, you are, you know, and that's when I first started experiencing the anxiety and depression. The gift of that was that I learned empathy. I gained empathy for those that have struggled with it because the way I describe it is it felt like I was underwater and I just couldn't get back to the top and the surface was supposed to be my normal, right? But I, I couldn't get to my normal, And it took a long time to realize, like, I have a new normal. You know, my normal is not the same as my old normal. And through the process, I think that I just had to give myself a break. I had to allow myself to not be concerned about all the things that I normally would have been concerned about that really weren't that big a deal. And I tried to surround myself with positive people. I lost, I watched a lot of funny TV shows and funny movies because laughter is like medicine and it's healing to your body. And um, I never, I can't say that there was a day that I said, okay, I'm done now. I don't have any more depression and anxiety because I can still fall back in that every once in a while. Um, but I definitely experienced a change when I went to play survivor and that was kind of my goal. Once I found out I was going to be on the show, I had just decided in my own head, you know, when I go there, I'm going to leave behind this anxiety and depression Hmm. and I'm not going to bring it back with me. That's interesting. Okay. So, so you, you kind of made the decision. This is a new season in your life. This is Mm -hmm. something. So how did you do that? Like, that fascinates me to think about, okay, I'm, this was one time in my life now Mm -hmm. moving. How are you able to do that? I think the first thing is to recognize it. So one thing that I always say is that your setback is only one scene in your story. 
So if you sit back for a moment and look at your life, you could, if you were to look at it like a movie, you have multiple scenes in your movie of your life. Some are good and some are bad. And I think it takes a conscious decision to decide, okay, this bad, this particular bad scene is not going to be the starring role of my life story. And I, it doesn't happen overnight, but it's just that I, I tried to say to myself, okay, cancer is like, it's like taking your control away, right? Like you don't feel like you have control over hardly anything. And so the only places I could grab control were my thoughts, my attitude, my disposition, my choices of how I was going to react to what was going on around me. And so the control I tried to take was like, okay, I can control, I can either stay in the corner every day and cry because I have cancer, which isn't going to make it better or worse, or I can do what I have to do dealing with the cancer. And then the rest of the time I can try to focus on other things. And that's what I did. Hmm. Now I've struggled with um, anxiety and depression myself. Mm -hmm. And there was a, a, a time for me where you know, I had really kind of thought, okay, I've overcome this. Mm -hmm. And then I hit another crisis period. And yeah. I found out quickly how easily um, I can fall back into those things. But the, the beauty of it the second time around is that I have all of the um, coping mechanisms to be able to go, okay, I know what's happening. Yeah. Did you find that for you where it's it's like when you know, okay, when it, it, it comes back that it's like, okay, this is how I can choose to think or this is how, how do you approach it differently when it happens now versus, you know, when you're the first time you're sitting in the chair getting chemotherapy and, and it happens? Well, now I recognize it at least because at that point I, I literally could not figure out what was happening to me. Now I know and I can recognize it. And I know, you know, sometimes I know it can come out of nowhere for people, but I do think for myself, I can realize, okay, I've been overstressed. I haven't slept enough. I'm emotional. I'm not eating well. I'm not drinking water. So I feel like all those things combined when I don't feel well physically, when I feel over, you know, stressed past my limit, I've recognized that those are the times I'm the most susceptible to the anxiety. Mm. And so it is kind of like, okay, then what's my action step going to be? You can't control life, right? Crisis is going to come up. Stuff is going to happen. But in my day-to-day -day life, I can control things like making sure I get enough sleep, eating better so I don't feel like crud, um, thinking about what I'm thinking about. You know, a lot of people don't realize that they can control their thoughts to a certain degree. You can't control thoughts that come in your head, but you can control the ones you decide to stew about all day. And I think that plays a huge part in it. So can we talk a little bit about that? We're this, yeah. this season, we're talking a lot about mindset. Mm -hmm. And when you have those thoughts come into your mind, yeah. what are some practical things that you have done to be able to go, okay, I'm not going to think about that. I'm going to do this instead. A couple of things. The first thing that I will do is I'll talk out loud to myself. Now, a lot of days I have the luxury of being home alone. So nobody knows except for God, <laughs> yeah. right? But if there's like some overwhelming thoughts that I know are going to take me down a, a, a wrong path, then I will talk out loud to myself and I'll say, um, nope, we're not going to think about that right now. We're going to think about X, Y, Z. Or to be honest, I'll sing because I'll put on some 80s music, um, some music of faith that I like, and I will sing because I can't sing and think something different in my mind mm. at the same time. That's really good. You know, I've never thought about that before. Yeah, it's like, and I didn't realize it until I started doing it. And it was like, okay, like I'll put on Spotify, the, um, I don't know, there's a playlist called like Brighten Your Day or something like that. And um, I'll put that on loud and because no one's around and I'll sing even if I'm in my car. And it takes my mind off of, you know, the thoughts that I was having. 
I think thoughts are kind of like having a sugar craving or you know how like you're craving whatever, a candy bar. But if you wait it out like 10 minutes later, it usually goes away. The start of a brand new year can sometimes feel a little bit sobering. When we step back and look at our lives, we see either amazing things have come to be or there is a lack of what we truly want. Maybe you're not really happy with where you're at, not feeling all that successful or finding it hard to navigate really important relationships in your life. What you believe to be true about your life is what you will create. Beliefs make up your life experience, and if you don't change what you believe to be true about yourself and your circumstances, then you will never be able to change the situation you are in. So you may be wondering, how do I change those beliefs? It all starts with getting really clear on what you want your life to look like, being clear on who it is you want to be, what you truly want to do with your life, and then what you want to have happen. And too often we let our excuses keep us spinning our wheels and stuck in the same space emotionally, physically, and spiritually. And there's no one that understands that more than I do. So let me ask you, what do you want to see happen this year in your life? What one thing would you change to make everything different? Maybe you know deep down, but maybe you're not entirely sure right now. I would love to have a conversation with you about how you can become the woman you really have been created to be. So don't let those excuses hold you back this year. Take that step of courage and make some big changes in your life. Schedule a free 30-minute coaching call with me and we'll chat and spend a bit of time identifying what may be holding you back. I am confident that you will see a shift immediately. So book that 30-minute strategy session by going to andreacrisp.ca forward slash schedule. I'm, I'm really interested to hear about your survivor experience and, you know, and how you navigated. You're on the season with millennials, and I'm sure that was super interesting. But, okay, what was the catalyst for you to be like, I'm wanting to be on Survivor? I know that's so weird isn't it it's I mean for me I'm like I would I would never do that but if like it's a random thought like you know I thought about the other day about you know entering the contest into to be a home to win thing here in Canada yeah. and I was like oh I could win a home and then I was like but then I'd have to be on tv and that seems weird um so uh for you you know like okay how did you get there from like okay I just beat cancer let's be on survivor okay well you have to go back you know, and realize that I and my family are fans of Survivor since the first season. Okay. That it's, makes way more sense. <laughs> yes. Yes. And it's like one show that we all liked and that we would watch together. And we, you know, we go to my mother-in-law's on Sundays and, and the aunt, you know, my brother and sister-in-law's are there and cousins and everybody watches it. So every Sunday dinner is a huge discussion and arguments sometimes about, you know, who went home and who should have gone home. And it's just, it's become this like family bonding thing, really. Um, like probably 10 years ago, I offhandedly said something like, I'm going to be on that show one day. And my boy, I have three boys and a girl. My boys were like, ah, you wouldn't make it one day, mom, good, good one. <laughs> and so I always had that in the back of my head. Well, I got through the cancer. I was 45 and my oldest son came to me and he's like, mom, you, you did the cancer. You, you, you know, I think you should go for survivor now. And I was like, you know what, if I'm not going to do it now, I'm never going to do it. I'm, you know, and I, and what can it hurt anyways? I mean, you make the video, it's three minutes. And if they don't call you, who cares? It's how I looked at it. So Although I really wanted a call. <laughs> <laughs> so here you are, you make this video and then you get contacted. Like, what was that like? Oh, I was so elated. I can't even tell you, but then scared to death at the same time, because every time you're on the phone with the production, you know, production or casting, you, you want to obviously put your best foot forward. It's almost like an interview every time you talk to them. And the casting process is really long. 
Um, by the time you get to interviews, it's been a couple of months and you, you know, interview with Jeff Probst, the host of the show, you know, producers, and it's so nerve wracking and it's hard because it's one of those things where you have to like walk in the room and just talk about yourself. And it's so awkward. Um, you know, so it's one of those things that I would have to tell myself, all right, put your big girl panties on, put your head up, hold your shoulders back and walk in there like you own the place, you know, yeah. <laughs> you gotta sometimes just fake it. And, um, it was a long, long casting process, but when I finally got the call, I was, you know, screaming, happy, so excited. And then that night I sat on my front porch and cried <laughs> And I was like, what was I thinking? I can't go on Survivor. I <laughs> just like, I'm not athletic. You know, all these doubts immediately and all those negative thoughts. And I was like, you know what? No, if I made it on the show, there's a reason and I'm going to go for it. So so what was like the time frame between you, you getting the call, you find out you're on the porch to actually arriving and starting the filming and production? Two weeks. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So you not do the very casting long. process and then they're like, we'll let you know. So then you find out two weeks before you have to leave um, that you made it. Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. Yep. So, so you walk us through a little bit through that season. You, you show up, what were like some of the, like, if you were to say encapsulate your time there, what would you say the takeaways for you, even in your life, were by being on Survivor? Whoa, that's a good question. There's a few. Um, one would be being self-aware. I don't know that many people realize until they get there and start playing this game that a huge part of it has to do with your ability to be aware of your own self. And to perceive how others are perceiving you and adjust accordingly. Hmm. Interesting. You know, because, and that works in any relationship. If yeah. you don't realize that you're coming off in a harsh and um, a harsh way to somebody else, and you're not picking up on the fact that every time you talk to them, they kind of grimace a little bit, then that's not good. But if you can start to realize, okay, why do people grimace when I talk? Oh, maybe the way I'm talking isn't very approachable. I need to change that. Or, you know, it really doesn't matter. What I learned is it doesn't matter what I think I'm giving off. What matters is how other people are receiving it. And it's my job to adjust, not their job to change their view of me. And so I think that's a huge lesson. I think realizing that your best and worst characteristics do get glorified or magnified when you have everything stripped away from you. And so you start to realize, oh man, I'm a lot more worried about what people think than I thought I was, or I'm a lot more insecure than I thought I was, or I'm a lot more bossy than I thought I was, <laughs> you know? So all these things, they come out because you, you're sitting there for hours and hours talking and you have nothing, you know, you're sleep deprived, you're starving. And so it really brings out a lot. So when you're in those moments and you've kind of had that, you know, moment of self-awareness and you think, okay, like I was probably said a little too much, or I was, you know, trying to, you know, get someone's attention for this. How do you course correct in that like, you know, um, like you're sleep deprived and you haven't eaten and you're not comfortable. And like, how do you, you get up the energy and the fortitude to like go, okay, I'm going to course correct here. Well, for one, you have a million dollar motivator. <laughs> That's so, helpful. <laughs> that makes a really big difference. Yeah. Um, and two, I, again, going back to perception, it depends on the person that you've had the interaction with. So if it's someone that, um, that I want to work with, then the first thing I'm going to do is apologize. Hey, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to say it like that. If I came off like this, I didn't mean to. And then over, I tend to overcompensate then and then just be overly nice with that person. You know, um, if it's someone I don't want to work with, then like, I don't care. Mm -hmm. I shouldn't say that. I don't care. I cared about everybody, but you know, 
in in the context of the game, I'm not, I was definitely not above apologizing if I could tell how I said or did something bothered somebody. And regardless if I was working with them or not, I didn't want to be hurting people's feelings. And so course correcting for me was being willing to recognize it and apologize and then change. Now, from like a completely different perspective, from the mm-hmm. perspective of other people, right? So yep. you're also having to not only project, you know, something to be self-aware, but people are projecting onto you as well. Oh, yes. What was that like? So you're having to like take their like garbage and all the stuff that they're processing through. And sometimes maybe they're not as self-aware and it's like all coming out at every one of the contestants. What was that like? It was completely and utterly emotionally and mentally exhausting. Hmm. It I, that's one thing that really cannot be really portrayed on TV is the, the emotional and mental, toll it takes, which affects you physically also. It makes you more tired and you're, you're kind of like always on edge. So in my normal life, if I walked by two people at work and they were chit-chatting, I wouldn't think a thing of it. In Survivor, you got to be like, what are they talking about? Are they talking about me? I better go over there, you know, and have like this whole paranoid uh, mind and process in your mind that's not, hopefully not normal in your everyday life. Um, yeah, it's just, it's just exhausting. I, I got to take one, like 10 minute nap one time. And it's because everything that day I felt like was secure with the votes. My alliance was good. I checked with my alliance. I got to take a nap. Is that okay? You know, because you could miss something and get voted out. Really? Yeah. So it's just mentally exhausting. So you're basically like, making sure you're awake and alert enough to know that you you're aware of every conversation that's happening. Every conversation. And at all times you have to track for every person left in the game. You have to be aware who are they working with? What's their angle? So if someone comes to you and they're like, Hey, I want to work with you on this next vote. Do you want, you know, la la la. Your thought process has to be, not, oh, cool, they want to work with me. That's awesome. You have to think, what's the benefit to them to work with me? Because that's that's the real, the truth of the matter is, is how is it benefiting them? Because they're not coming to me unless it's going to benefit them. Mm-hmm. So I can't be just thinking, oh, this is good for me. I have to think about every one of the other players in the game at the time. Who are they voting for? Why are they voting for them? Who are they talking to? Who are they aligning with? What would they do for this vote? Why would they do this? How would this further them in the game? I got to figure out how they think they're going to get ahead and then stop them at the pass. So fascinating. Okay, now this is making me curious about, okay, you are now, you know, spending your life empowering others. Mm -hmm. Women and young women in particular. But in this kind of um, game, you are second guessing the motives of people all the time. All the time. And, And so like, which is like, to me, seems like the complete polar opposite to when we're empowering others. We're mm-hmm. looking for the, you know, we're it looking is. to what is their potential and how can they grow it and what can they do and how can we mm-hmm. encourage them versus like, uh, how are they voting and what, what do they want from me and mm-hmm. how, how do we get ahead of them? Yeah. Like that's like, to me, it's like, how do you compartmentalize like that part of your life? And then, and like, how did that work to like, then go from, from that to going, okay, now I'm going to empower people or like even, even whichever, like, I don't know what I'm asking. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I think, I I think that I do. I, I, I'd say, first of all, while I had to change, you know, my thinking pattern while in the game, it didn't change who I was at the core. Mm, Okay. So even at that, I'll give you an example. During a certain, uh, one of the tribal councils, it was, it got very heated. And a couple of people um, made, poked fun at someone who had been dealing with anxiety. And instead of keeping it on the topic of the vote, 
they were, you know, it was like, oh, you have anxiety. I mean, you know, kind of like that, really, really not nice. And in that moment, I turned around and I was like, stop, you know, and even though the person wasn't in my alliance that they were kind of poking at, it didn't change the core of who I am. I'm not going to sit there and let someone tease someone else about having anxiety, right? Mm -hmm. So the core of me didn't change. What changed was the realization that I was playing a game. Now, albeit I'm living it, drinking it, sleeping it, all of that, it still is a game. And so that's how I compartmentalized it because even at that time, I was working full-time with millennials. I was a pastor of millennials. And so one of the big questions to me in the casting process is, how are you going to play this game and later explain to the kids that you work with why you lied and why you did X, Y, Z? And my answer was simple. I'm playing a game. It's like clue. It's like risk. It's like the game sorry, where you plunk your kid's thing off the, you know, when you land on them. And um, I just said, you know what? What I want them to see is that at 45, I wasn't afraid to go for my dreams. Hmm. But as far as this is a game. And so I had to constantly remind myself of that because I'm relational. I'm, I'm forming bonds with these people that I still have and will have with the rest of my life. But at that same time, they're also people that I have to vote out because they're in my way of getting a million dollars. I love how you were able to kind of frame that for yourself. Yeah. Thank you. It took a while to get there, you know, but here's, here's where it really came down to was I actually won a family visit. So I got to see my husband, a surprise, got to see my husband on day 31 of the game. Now at this point, I haven't seen him for the 31 days of the game plus seven days prior to that. And seeing him was like a reminder of why I was there. So this is the way I framed it. If I chose a relationship I just made here in this game, you know, that costs me from getting as far as I possibly can to win this money. What I'm telling my family that I left for seven weeks with zero contact is that the person I met three weeks ago is more important to me than my family that I left for seven weeks behind. That is the only way that I could in my mind compartmentalize and justify the decisions that I was making. I always had to go back to, I left my family for this and it's not fair for me to miss my daughter's softball season, my son's baseball season, because I met someone three weeks ago and I feel more loyal to them than doing everything possible to win the game. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like, I'm willing to go behind your back and vote you off because my people, my family, they're more important than this bond we're creating. Correct. Okay. And it gets very blurry, very blurry, very quickly because you're spending 24 seven with these people. I don't spend that much time with my husband or my kids. Yeah. So the bond is extremely strong. There was Mm -hmm. one person in that game I wouldn't have voted out. And that's it. Really? Mm Mm-hmm. And that's because on day two or three, we told each other we would never write each other's names down unless it was for a million dollars. And what made you decide to say that to that person? Um, I think that we just, we hit it off. We thought a lot alike. We approached the game alike. And he reminded me of my brother, to be honest. Uh, My brother's a police officer, a sergeant, and this uh, Brett He's also a sergeant. And um, although he didn't tell us that, I kind of knew it because I, when you're around officers, you kind of get to know what they're like a little bit. Um, and he just, there was something about him that I trusted. And you have to have people that you trust to get to the end of the game. At the same time, you can't trust anybody 100%. But he was my one person that... Um, I don't know if it came down to brass tacks that I I could have ever written his name down. I don't think that I would have. And we both had decided that early on in the game. Wow. And how could you trust that he wasn't going to change his mind? Um, 
I just kind of knew that he wouldn't. I mean, you know, we didn't get tested at it. We did on, on one occasion and, um, and we, whether, you know, we, we went together and we were fine, but I saw him at casting, although we weren't allowed to talk to each other, we made eye contact many times. And so I knew if I was called back to play this game and he was there, that we would be working together. And he said the same thing. There was a few of us like that, actually, that knew, you know, I'm we're, that knew we'd work with each other once we got to talk to each other and got on the island. So I don't know. There was something about him. And there's a couple other people too, but you know, typically in the game, by the end of it, you have what they would call like your ride or die. Yeah. Um, that one person. So. Um, that is so fascinating to me. Uh, so h- how did you fare on Survivor? So I got voted out on day 35 and uh, the game is 39 days. So I think I did really well. You did. Excellent. Um, especially being that my kids told me when I left, the last thing they said to me was, mom, whatever you do, don't be the first one voted out. You know? <laughs> no pressure. Thanks guys. Um, so for me, that was great. I mean, obviously I would have liked to gotten further in the game. I, at that, going into that tribal council, I had a little bit of a feeling, but I thought I had had every conversation with every person there. And I felt, you know, like the plan was going a different direction. So as Jeff is reading my name and saying I'm getting voted out, I'm just like, it's like being in an alternate universe. I don't even know how to describe it. But true to my own self, I I wasn't mad. I mean, I turned around and said, hey, good luck, you guys. Play hard, you know. And I wasn't mad at, at anybody. Um, I don't know. It was so weird. I, I don't know how to describe it. When you get back to Ponderosa, which is where you stay after you get voted out, like, I hadn't seen myself. You never get to see yourself in a mirror. So seeing yourself in a mirror after 35 days of being outside, no food, sleep, or in the sun the whole time, it's shocking. Oh, I'm sure. And I lost 25 pounds and you don't realize it, you know, because they'll say, well, how much weight do you think you lost? I'm like, I don't know, maybe 10 pounds. Although I was using a rope as a belt to keep my shorts on. So that should have given me a little bit of a indicator, but um, coming out of the game is very, see, now you're in real life. You have to switch your mindset back. You can't, you know, think everyone's out to get you. You can't be paranoid or that no one's going to want to be your friend after that. Right. And, um, they do provide, I had, uh, a therapist, a psychologist that I, that you meet with right away to help you decompress from the game. And that can be an ongoing thing as well. Um, it's just... I, only way I know how to describe it is it's like, like you were in a foreign country in a different time period and now you came back to real life and you're like, you mean I can walk in a shower and water will come out and I can use soap? You know, or, you mean I have a toothbrush with toothpaste on it and a toilet seat and toilet paper? I mean, it's just, it's bizarre. Now, how do you think that Survivor has, I'm, I'm going to ask you in, in two ways. How do you think it's okay. changed you for the better? Mm-hmm. And how do you think it has changed you maybe not for the better? Okay. Let's, I would say for the better, it's it's really given me a lot of opportunities. It's um, brought relationships into my life I never would have had. And it is, has given me a sense of strength and confidence that I wouldn't have had any other way. I mean, you have to wear, okay, so I'm a mom of four, right? And I'm not Miss Skinny. I'm normal, whatever. Mm -hmm. Well, you wear a two-piece bathing suit on national TV for 30 days. There's something about getting rid of some of your insecurities. You know, it's like, how much worse could it be? I wore a two-piece on national TV for 30 days. You know, I can do anything, right? Right. And then it's, I've got, you know, stretch marks and, you know, I'm not, you know, like any cute 20 skinny year old, you know, um, for worse, I would say, you know, my edit wasn't super strong and that's partially because I'm just a little too nice for the game maybe. And so when you don't create drama and when you don't 
you know, rip on people necessarily, or you're not, your confessionals aren't really aimed at anyone in an angry way. It doesn't make for super great TV. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Like there has to be tension for, and there was tension, but you know, it, it wasn't as much as, as maybe some other people. So when I watched the season, it was really difficult for me because I wasn't seeing myself on the screen. And so they weren't, they can only show so much. Right. Mm -hmm. And so my perception of what and how I played the game was not the same as what I was watching on TV. And that was really hard for me to digest. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. It was, so that has, thrown me for a little, you know, talk about a little bit of that depression, anxiety, you know, it's, it's kind of like you feel a little invisible and that's not a great feeling. Um, you know, my husband continues to remind me it's better that you, you went, you know, 35 days with a good reputation than one with a bad one, which he's right. Yeah. But it's a dream. Like, this is your dream. And then you're just not seeing what you know that you did by nature of how they have to lay out the story. And so that has caused, you know, some questioning that maybe I wouldn't have had. So it's like on one hand, I gained confidence, but on the other hand, this different kind of insecurity kind of crept in. Mm -hmm. And so they kind of are like fighting with each other often. You know, it's interesting. I'm thinking about like, you know, social media right now. And yeah. about, you know, generational differences on social media, of course, okay. and and how, you know, the millennials, they tend to put everything out there, like yeah. anything goes and and they can recover quick, quickly from like, you know, I'm going to, you know, share this information and then, you know, totally be fine with it. Whereas, you know, in generations past, it's like, OK, I'm not going to necessarily air my dirty laundry Right. To everyone. Um, and, and there's just an, a, an interesting way of, of living and doing things like you're playing the game, you know, in a way that you're you can be proud of. Yeah. At, but at the end of the day, the people getting more attention are the people who are willing to air their dirty laundry. Yeah. Which I find is something I think so many women um, face, even when they're trying to grow a business or trying to grow, um, something on, on social media, it's like, why is everyone getting more attention and traction and likes on their social media platform? Well, often it's because they're willing to air their dirty laundry. You're, you are a hundred percent, right? You're a hundred percent, right? And you know, yeah, different people obviously have different approaches to the game. Mm -hmm. Um, the game, I'm not going to say it, it's structured for men. However, it is a harder climb for women. Really? It is. And I think people would say, well, I mean, how is that possible? But if you think about, you know, I actually, I I talked with a a class, uh, a senior high class, they did a whole, um, semester on the psychology of survivor, because there's so many aspects of it that apply to psychology. But when you get there and you're starting to live with these people and build a camp, it, it happens without anyone saying a word that the women are grabbing the pots and trying to make food and the men are building and cutting things down. Hmm. And it's like we fall into these generational or these role gender roles without even thinking about it. So oftentimes the woman in my position, the, we'll say the older mom of the game, because really it comes, it, it, it ends up being um, typecast to a degree. There's usually an older mom. There's usually a tough guy. There's usually the young, cute, athletic guy, you know? Yeah. And so I was the mom. There were several moms on my season, but I was the cast as the mom, so to speak. So when you play a mom role and you gain trust with people and they look at you as a mother figure, when you go against them, they take it much more personal because they've been comparing you to their mom. Wow. So they'll get more upset with you for making a a strategic move that hurt them 
Where if a man made that same move, they'd be like, well, it sucks, but I respect you for making that big move. If it's a woman, it's like, how dare you do that to me? Interesting. It, it, it really is. And I'm not saying women can't win. Women have won, but it, it's a tougher road to climb for sure. So I, I'm, I'm very, I'm just fascinated by that because I've really never thought of it, but it, it really is the psychology behind how we perceive um, people even perceiving us. Yeah. And, 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 you know, how they'll vote, you know, because they're maybe a little bit more hurt that, you know, we turned against them when yeah. really, you know, a, a man doing it or a young guy doing it is, is very different. It's like, oh, okay, well, yeah, I saw that coming. Yeah. Or celebrate it even. Mm-hmm. Good move. Right. You got, and I tried to approach a game like that when someone, you know, voted against me or not in my alliance, I'd be like, Hey, good job. You got me tonight, you know, because I realize it's a game. But when you get to the end and you've been with these people so long, the bottom line of it is people do not give a million dollars to people they don't like. So everything about Survivor and winning a million dollars has to do with relationships, all of it. Um, Unless you are an alpha male who, you know, gets rid of people consecutively and gets props for his great moves. A woman doing the exact same thing would would be um, would be you know attacked at tribal council instead of glorified or praised for their good moves. Normally, so fascinating how it mimics real life in so many ways. It, oh, it is so real life. It's a little scary, and they do say that that they want the show to uh, mirror real life, and it absolutely does. Because it really does bring out the best and worst in people in such a short amount of time. Yes, it does. Because when you take everything away, food, especially sleep, I really think people underestimate what happens to you when you're sleep deprived. Um, And yeah, the good things about you are, you know, kind of there, but the negatives definitely are um, exaggerated. Wow. So, okay. So after Survivor, you, you, what did you do? Like how much time did it take for you to process before you kind of moved into the next stage of your career? I would say probably about eight or nine months. Um, You know, it took a while to adjust when I got back. I actually ended up in the hospital for a couple weeks and a couple weeks, a week. Um, But it it took a while to adjust and then to kind of refocus myself like, okay, I could change what I'm doing right now in my life. And and I did. So that makes a big transition. You know, they tell you after you play the game not to make any big life choices for at least a year. And I, you know, changed my job and and started a business or, you know, started speaking and, and wrote a book. So those were huge changes. Um, but at that same time, they were things that I always had in my heart that I wanted to do. It just was the show was kind of a catalyst and a good starting point to make the change. Mm. So what are you doing now? Um, that kind of your focus, um, within your business and your speaking and, and kind of your passion right now, I'm building a community of women who, know that they're strong, that have found their strength or are finding it. And a community of women that will support each other and not compete with each other. Um, I am doing everything I can to pour into women, speak to women and young women. I think that there's just so many women that they're so strong and they just need someone to tell them. You know, so I just like, let, give me a group of women and let me show them how strong that they are. Um, so I'm doing that. I've written and done some things with college age girls, but really I just want to be able to tell women, you are amazing. And I want to tell them, let's quit fighting with each other and stick together because together we can do so much more. Mm. You know, and I always think, look at how many women in our world need help. 
if we would get together and collaborate, if we came together and brought our strengths together, instead of being um, jealous of what someone else is better at us, you know, for or wishing we could be another person, if we just all came to the table with the gifts that we have individually, we could change. I mean, I don't want to sound cliche, but we could change the world. I mean, if you think about all the girls in how many countries that aren't allowed to read and get an education or um, trafficking victims or, you know, girls that have gone missing, you know, they're just, it goes on and on and on. And I think, Kyle, if we came together, we could do so much to empower each other in the next generation. What do you think if you were going to kind of give advice to women who are listening right now? If, mm-hmm. if you were to say, okay, what's a practical way for them to actually outwork that? Like, how can they come together and collaborate with one another and not compete? I think first and foremost, it has to be finding your own confidence. Um, I find mine in faith. That's where my confidence comes from. But even if you're not a person of faith, I still believe that you have strength on the inside of you. So first, you got to discover your own strength. Once you are confident in who you are, now you can walk into a group of women and um, encourage them. I think that it takes one woman in a bunch to start to say, hey, I know I saw that you're good at this and -and so-and-so you're good at this. What if we worked together? You know, it takes one woman when five women are out to lunch and they're all ripping somebody down. It takes one woman to say, yeah, but you know what I really like about her is X, Y, Z. Ever tried that? And then everyone that's been talking bad about her feels stupid and they're like, oh, (laughs) and I've been the one that's felt stupid by talking about someone, you know, so it's like these small changes in relationships. It's finding women that you can you know, what do you like? That's what I think a lot of women don't even know what they like. Who, if you ask me like, who do you want to help? I want to help, you know, young girls, or I want to help women um, that are single moms, or I want to, you know, whatever it is, and then go to where the women are that are helping them and join forces with them. Mm -hmm. You know, because we can't all do something on our own. And I don't think we were created to. So it's like, man, I really want to help. What can I do? Well, the best thing you can do is join up with someone that's already doing it and help them. And maybe at some point you get your own idea, but surrounding yourself, I think, with the right women is the best is the best way to go about it. If you think about like your friend circle, who are the people that when you walk away from your time with them that you feel better about yourself? Or who are the people that you walk away and you feel worse about yourself? I don't think we give ourselves the permission to cut toxic relationships out of our lives. We feel obligated. We feel bad. We feel loyal. But really, if that's a person that's bringing you down, they shouldn't be in your circle, Mm -hmm. right? Because you're trying to build your own self up, A, so that you can build other people up. We can't afford to allow toxic relationships to continue to tear us down because then we're never going to be in a place to help anybody else and work with anybody else. I mean, you know, it's so interesting how you're saying that. I'm just thinking about even how how the alliances in Survivor that is parallel in this. And, uh, 100%. And how even if you are technically working against each other, we have to work with one another as well to for the benefit of, of one another in order to move forward and other to encourage, except for just in one of them, it's a game to win. And the other one is like, how can we both win? And how can we both get to the other side where it's like mutually beneficial and which I think is, is beautiful. Um, And I think it in, in theory is, is a lot harder to do in in practical terms. It's easier to say, let's, let's empower one another than to actually, you know, do it. Oh, a hundred percent. Because you're dealing with a million different kinds of personalities. You're dealing with people with different life experiences that bring different things to the table. And it's, I think it's a constant thing of going back to the self-awareness 
and asking yourself, am I patient with people that bug me, right? Because there's people that, that you get along with right away and there's people that it's kind of like oil and water. But even if you're oil and water with someone, it doesn't mean that it has to be a toxic relationship. I think we see so much in the media and even Facebook and, and everything is a fight. Everything is, well, I don't think that. And, and it's like, you know, everybody doesn't need to know your opinion. Yeah. Right? Like they don't care. Nears, everyone cares about their own opinion. They don't really care about yours. <laughs> if you don't agree with someone... That's what I, I, it's like, why do you have to tell them? Why does it matter if you don't agree with them? Let them have their thinking and you have yours and find common ground, right? Okay, we don't agree on X, Y, Z, but I bet we both like apples. Yeah, right. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Like, do we both have kids? Let's talk about our kids then. Or, you know, everything I just feel like is so charged right now where people, it's like, are looking for a fight. And it's like, you know, I don't, I don't need everyone to know I don't agree with them. There's like something about just shutting up sometimes and listening to other people. Mm-hmm. Um, because so many of us, instead of listening, we're forming our next sentence. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and it's kind of like going back to just like the golden rule. Just like be kind. Women, we got to be kind to each other because stuff is hard. It's exhausting to be a woman. It's exhausting to be a mom. It's exhausting to work in and outside of the home. It's exhausting keeping track of friends that are talking about you behind your back. All of that, it's exhausting. And if we could just get to a place where we're encouraging each other and allowing each other space and allowing each other grace, I just think we would relieve a lot of the stress and pressure that we're carrying. I couldn't agree more. Could not agree more. I I love that. I I think it's, you have just like an incredible story of just resilience, number one. And, And also just, you know, the ability to kind of take a look inward and seeing, you know, how, how am I wired and how does that affect others and how do they affect me and how can we work together, I think is brilliant and beautiful in so many ways. I'm, I'm just so, I'm excited that I got to hear your story firsthand. I think it's very, very cool. Of course, now I'm super curious and I need to go back and watch that season of Survivor. Um, because I totally want to- That's exactly what I'm talking about now when you go watch it. Exactly, I'll be like, I'll be able to like, totally take it apart and be like, oh, yep. that's what that's- she meant. Yep. Yep. 100%. <laughs> now, um, I want to thank you for being on the Courage Cast, but where can people find you if they're interested in number one, purchasing your book or following you on Instagram? Where where can they find you? Okay, they can find me on my website uh, first, which is IamGritGirl.com. Um, I am on Instagram and Twitter at, at Sunday Survivor. And if it's another woman, I have a closed group for women and it's called Grit Girl Tribe with Sunday and that's on Facebook. Okay. And um, the reason that's closed is so women can feel the freedom to say, hey, I'm struggling with this. Anybody, you know, can you encourage, you know, for encouragement and that kind of thing. It's just not out in the whole public thing, you know. Mm-hmm. Awesome. So. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much um, for, for being a guest today on the Courage Cast. Thank you for having me. It was a fun conversation that I don't think is, I've really had another um, interview where we've kind of gotten into the psychology of the game. And I I just think that was really fun to talk to you about. Well, now you've got me so curious, you know, (laughs) so I I definitely will be looking into how much more um, the two parallel. So very interesting as well. Well, thank you. What a fun episode. I want to thank Sunday for being a guest on the Courage Cast. It seriously was just so eye-opening to hear about her experience on Survivor and how reality TV really does mimic real life and how you have to play the game. And sometimes that means doing things that you would never really do in your real life. And yet there are so many teachable moments along the way. 
And that is just like it is in our real lives as well. And so what just a fascinating topic to dive into the psychology of really playing that game as well as just overcoming insurmountable odds that each of us face in our lives. And I I think one of the things that I'm really going to take away from this conversation with Sunday is that no matter what we face in life, we always have a choice to dwell on what we think. And we can make things different in our own lives just by changing our thoughts. And I think that is so important to remember. So if you're facing a difficulty in your life, start with examining what you're thinking and changing those thought patterns and really changing the course of your life. Friend, I love that you joined me today for this episode of The Courage Cast, and I hope that you do for the next one as well. Until next time, remember, you have everything you need to live bravely. If you like this episode of The Courage Cast, we'd love to hear from you. Leave us a rating and review, and while you're there, hit subscribe so you never miss an episode. Original music and production by Stephen Crilly.